1: Welcome to Kramer. Other people are my friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. As we get closer to a vaccine, this market's increasingly dominated by one question. What's the post-COVID future going to look like? After today, we had some natural profit taking after that big rally yesterday. Uh, well, we had the Dow dipping 131 points, S&P backsliding 0.48%. NASDAQ edging down just 0.29%. This is a good moment to consider where we'll be in six months because it's controlling a lot of the action we see in the stock market. So the question is, will we go back to the old normal once the pandemic is over, or will some aspects of the new normal remain? I think many of these changes will be ephemeral, but some could be permanent. Real ingrained habits. And right now, Wall Street's trying to guess which is which. Which? Remember, the market's a forecasting machine that reflects expectations about the future much more than facts about the present. That's why I always say we don't care where stocks have been. We care where they're going. So what's the market saying about the post-pandemic economy? Well, let's start with the obvious one that many missed, Peloton. I'm getting right to it. It's incredible how many smart people bet against this maker of smart exercise machines. When COVID first hit, money managers quickly figured out that their gyms and their spin classes were kaput. But a lot of short sellers still tried to crush Peloton, holding it in the 30s, assuming it was just a stationary bike with a video screen. As time went on, though, Jim Chain after Jim Chain filed for bankruptcy. Final straw two weeks ago. Flywheel. Bankruptcy. And Peloton stock has soared to the stratosphere. The company's clearly here to stay, and it's expanding its offerings to ensure the competition stays dead. I actually know people who got in early when they still had a lot of inventory, and they brag about it. Why not? Not anymore. The verdict! The market's screaming that Peloton is the real deal. Next up, the pandemic's taught a whole new generation how to cook at home because it's not really safe to dine out. You'd think that would mean great things for the packaged food companies. And they're absolutely putting up fantastic numbers. But the stocks keep getting clobbered because the market thinks they have no post-pandemic staying power. That we're just going to go out like we used to. Witness today's beatdown with McCormick the spice maker that we'll hear about later tonight. Do you know that investors made the same judgment about Campbell's soup? We had them one too. Somehow, though, somehow, get this. Those same investors, like the web, digitization, they believe that Pinterest, the virtual pinboard platform that's full of recipes, is totally real. I think the market's making a little bit of misjudgment here. We shouldn't be writing off the food stocks. When Campbell's works out the supply chain, I bet the buyers will come back. The cash flow is huge. As for McCormick. They're still not getting enough credit for Frank's hot sauce, let alone French's mustard. More on that later. But that's just my opinion, though. The market's opinion, the package food players, no staying power. How about the home office? Right, when you're stuck at home thanks to COVID, you spend a lot of money trying to make it a nicer place to live and to work. Hence the spectacular rally at Wayfair. The online furniture store. This one struggling company was saved by the pandemic. You know, in February, Valentine's Day, Wayfair was teetering on the edge. They laid off 550 people, CEO telling his police that the business had invested too heavily. A few weeks later, COVID and all those investments began to pay off. And the stock surged, get this, from 21 to over 300. While Wayfair's pulled back more than 15% from its highs, it's still trading like it's got staying power. Once you start buying a given type of merchandise online, it is tough to go back. Wayfair's a bargain furniture play, though. What if you had got deep pockets? Well, then you go to RH, the company forming the honest restoration hardware, which has been cleaning up these past six months. CEO Gary Friedman, always on the show, has knocked the ball out of the park, even after the stock's magnificent run. I'm shocked that it only has a $7.3 billion market cap. When RH is $2.6 billion, in sales headed to $5 billion. I think it's got a lot more upside, and Wall Street clearly agrees because this stock is trading like the growth is here to stay. It's on the here-to-stay side. Next up, the great outdoors. Brunswick's basically out of boats with giant back orders. They're trying to make them as fast as they can. Amazing number of new boaters, especially women. I think it's the ideal way to have fun during the pandemic. Don't ask me, ask my 17-foot Boston whaler. Doesn't matter. Wall Street's decided it's got no staying power. Investors simply don't believe the growth can be maintained. I think they're dead wrong. This industry is expanding. The number of new boaters is amazing. And it boat's a great investment. You can rent them out for ridiculous prices right now. But there's no argument with Wall Street's verdict, at least for the moment. Next up, cars. With people terrified of public transportation or carpooling, commuters are turning to used car dealers to get around. But not just any dealers. Who do they love? Carvana, because even before COVID, Carvana had a contactless business model with giant garages that are basically vending machines for used cars. You didn't have to talk to anybody. People don't like to talk anymore. Remember that younger generation? They text. I wish they'd call me. Uh-uh. Despite heavy short interest, the stock continues to roar. The verdict: staying power for Carvana off-road vehicles. Jury still out. We're going to speak to Polaris tonight. PII. They just signed a deal to make electric snowmobiles and off-road vehicles. I thought it would put it over in the here to stay side. I don't know. I question the market's judgment, just like with with Brunswick. ATVs aren't going out of style. They're coming into style. How about the upcoming Airbnb IPO? Now, the company laid off a quarter of its workforce in May, and it looked like they were toast. Who wants to stay in someone else's house during a pandemic? (laughs) Turns out the answer is pretty much everyone who has to travel. Nobody trusts the hotels here. And you can rent out a fabulous house to Airbnb for the same price as a much smaller hotel room. You get there. What do you do? You clean the darn place with the mad money. No, with disinfecting wipes. This, this is what you use for heaven's sake. Stay focused. In fact, tons of people who are working remotely have decided to decamp to an Airbnb all over the country. Because why not? Might as well be somewhere nice. Hey, you know what? My wife's doing it. What is she doing? She's going to Florida packing these, packing these to avoid a resurgence. Just going to Delray. It's supposed to be a nice place. How about RVs? All right, as you'll hear later, the largest RV maker, Thor Industries, THO, reported some incredible numbers yesterday. Best backlog and latest inventories ever. RVs have become the safest way to travel with your family. But judging by the humdrum action in the stock, the markets decided no staying power. No staying power. This is staying power. No staying power. Uh, I say let the reserve judgment. Let's reserve judgment, please, until we hear what management has to say. All right, well, let's just talk about buy a claim Domino's. us transformed the way we eat. Order online or on any device, contactless delivery. They put it on a little pedestal on your stairs, so you don't even have to talk talk to anybody. And you can, by the way, you can put the uh, tip right on the thing. You can order with your watch. And they are developing better wings. Thank heavens. I think this is another last man standing situation. So far, which is the market's way of saying Domino's staying power. Finally, Facebook, Etsy, and Shopify. They're all about empowering small businesses to operate online. Facebook is Instagram Shops. You know that could be worth $50 billion to them. Shopify is the most aggressive e-commerce facilitator for small business. Etsy is the online marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods. They're all hanging in there because the market believes in these stories, and I agree. Look, it's hard to know what really has staying power unless you're convinced that the pandemic's headed for a huge resurgence that will send us back into recession. That could explain why the market's turned against many of these stories. That's why this one is here, but it's also there. That's a, a statistical oddity. The bottom line, I want to appeal all of the guilty judgments, but the upper courts may be unyielding. If the market's turned against your favorite COVID names, you can't expect them to come back shortly. Longer term, though, the jury's still out. And that could be the opportunity. Fred in my home state of New Jersey. Fred.
2: Jim, thanks for taking my call. My question today is about
0: Amgen. I've held Amgen since February 2019, Taking profits when it made sense and adding to it whenever there were pullbacks. In early September, I sold all of Amgen and they grew up in my portfolio for Nike. I was fortunate to buy Nike before the recent price spike. Nice. I believed Amgen had reached the target price, but now I'm not too sure. Should I retake another position in Amgen?
1: You know what? I think you may be right to revisit I've been doing a lot of work on Amgen, I think because of uh, the Chapel Trust in uh, Seattle Gen, and that's been a real winner. But you know what? Amgen's got a lot of uh, eyes to the fire, including, by the way, just, you know, an amazing oncology franchise that they're not getting any credit for. All right, guys, if the market's turned against your COVID names, they may not come back for a little while. We'll see. Let's talk to them. McCormick reported an earnings beat and more importantly maybe for some a two to one two for one stocks book this morning. This stock still took a hit. Why? Cooking from home. Does it still have the right spice in this market? I'm gonna talk to CEO. And does the great outdoors theme really hold up? Ah, uh, we gotta sit down with players to find out. And does RV make for Thor continue to cruise along in the market as more people look for safer ways to travel? My wife knows how to drive one. Me, I'm along for the ride. So stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.
1: This morning, we got some great numbers from McCormick, one of my faves, the spice and seasoning maker. Company delivered a nice top and bottom line beat. Management reinstated its full year forecast after pulling it in March. And you know what? It didn't seem to matter. Stock got slammed, falling five bucks, even though home cooking is integral to the stay at home economy. The problem, while McCormick's full year forecast was a bit, uh, well, it was a lot higher than the original 2020 guidance back in January. It fell short of what some analysts were anticipating. Given that there's only one quarter left in the fiscal year, a lot of people looked at these numbers and immediately started worrying about the next quarter. And uh, like I said at the top of the show, Wall Street's decided that the food place have no staying power once we get past the pandemic. I think they're wrong. McCormick's been a fabulous long-term performer, especially since it bought Frank's Hot Sauce and French's Mustard about three years ago. If the stock's pulling back with seemingly cautious guidance, I bet this is yet another viable pullback. So let's check in with Lawrence Curzius, the chairman and CEO of McCormick, to get a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Curzius, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Jim, it's great to be here with you, and I couldn't agree with your comments more.
1: Well, we got to talk about that, because what you basically have said over and over in your conference call and in all press reports, you keep using the word sustainability. If you didn't think it was sustainable, I think you would say, you know what? I wish that it had more staying power. But your word has been true every quarter. So why do you feel it's so sustainable?
3: Well, our consumer segment is seeing strong, sustained consumer demand as eating at home continues. Uh, because uh, this has really become a trend that, uh, that uh, that's, that's, that's becoming a habit. Our household penetration is up 8%. That's, that's millions of households. And the repeat rate is up 7%. That means consumers are using our products and coming back for more. Uh, we've gained market share in most of our categories. And this isn't just the U.S. phenomenon. This is happening around the world. Uh, it's going to drive growth for a long time to come.
1: Now, we know that China is a precursor of sustained consumer demand. And China is remarkable for you.
3: Uh, China is our biggest market outside of the U.S. Our brands there are the same brands that consumers would see here and in the U.S. as well as some China-specific brands. And, and China is several months, maybe more than that, ahead of the U.S. in terms of recovery. And yet we're still seeing sustained consumer demand in China as well.
1: Well, you know, I struggle because I'm always trying to understand whether the market knows something that I don't. And I seized upon the idea that perhaps when you talked about the idea that some of the smaller restaurants may not be able to make it, that maybe think, you know, the traditional food service customers, that maybe people are worried that that's what could be slowing down, that there's a lot of restaurants that are going out of business.
3: Well, you know, in our flavor solutions segment that that uh, serves the restaurant industry, we had a strong bounce back in third quarter. You may recall that in second quarter, uh, we, you know, we were down strongly in that in that segment. We we're right. almost flat in in the uh, third quarter um you know there's quite a range of restaurants but uh quick service restaurants you know restaurants that are oriented towards a takeaway uh, and, uh, and, uh, and and drive through and and eat out as opposed to dine in you know they're really recovered very well i mean our quick service restaurant customers are back in growth in some parts of the world and and recovering very strongly yeah. it's the it's the individual restaurant the uh, the you know the your your uh white tablecloth restaurant, uh, restaurants like yours, Jim, right. you know, where, where they're in areas with uh, lockdowns uh, still in place. Uh, those are uh, have a tough road ahead.
1: All right. So speak to me about we've talked a lot about hot sauce. Speak to me about mustard. Uh, you know, you've done a remarkable job when I go to the supermarket. It's not just French is stuck by itself. Uh, How is that going? Well, I'm going to step back and talk about uh, Hot sauce as well. Okay. Um, you know, this consumption
3: growth that we've seen overall in the, in the third quarter across our whole business in the U.S. Uh, was up 28%, which is Jeez. a staggering uh, amount of growth in, uh, in, in a uh, single quarter. Hot sauce was one of the strongest categories at 43%. But stodgy Jeez. old mustard that everybody thinks is so boring was still up 10%. And why is that? It's because consumers are having lunch at home. And, you know, the number one carrier food for mustard is a sandwich.
1: Right. Well, that's it. everyone laughs here because they know that I eat mustard. Why do I eat mustard? Because there's no calories for heaven's sake. No and why do I put the sauce on when I get home? Because I have to cook now because my wife is, is separated because of, of COVID. I put the hot sauce on because I need it to be different every night. I put the spices on because I need it to be different. I can't be alone. Every one of the recipe says to do it. And Jim, restaurants,
3: that, you know, there's so much of restaurant consumption that, that, you know, that's happening right now is takeaway for eating at home. And uh, Frank's hot sauce, Old Bay hot sauce, French's mustard, the, uh, our spices and seasonings, consumers are using those when they take that food home from the restaurant. So really, we're getting both the restaurant consumption uh, from the preparation of the food in the first place And then the consumer is putting uh, our products on it at home as well.
1: I made a bunch of chicken yesterday. I'm going to put it for the Franks on tonight because it's got to be different from what I ate last night. Lawrence, we are huge believers in the accessibility of stocks for individuals. You gave us a two for one. Why?
3: Well, Jim, that's exactly what it was about, is keeping our share price accessible to individual investors. Our institutional investors don't care about stock splits. If you listen to our call today, not one of them asked about it. But I've gotten deluged with emails today from individual investors thanking us for that stock split it's been it it's been since 2002 since mccormick has had a stock split we've had a long run of tremendous uh, performance but our price per share was four times the average of our peer group and we wanted to make sure that we brought that price per share down into a range where individual investors could still buy shares give them to their kids and and participate in the success of our company
1: excellent All right, let's switch directions for a second. Standing with black communities, McCormick partners with social justice organizations, follow up with our commitment to standing up for black lives. Many companies made one statement, and then they moved on. That is not your way. I went and checked with some of these because you're donating $500,000, and I came across one. The Ed Reed Foundation, I just picked one. Ed Reed is doing St. Rose Park, building a park, donate here. Uh, That is the kind of local feeling that I have. Everyone in Baltimore knows Ed Reed's a hero. So you're picking the good ones, huh? You know, we didn't pick them.
3: We made we wanted to make sure that we got to the right organizations, so we let our employees pick them. So we put together an employee committee made up of our black leaders. Uh, we allowed employees to nominate organizations that uh, supported the uh, the black community, and uh, and we let that committee direct how the money was spent. So I'm, I'm glad we got one of them right there, Jim. But we've support we uh, we announced support for uh, 26 organizations that we hadn't previously supported. Uh, Before we wanted to make sure we
1: weren't just talking about it. We were putting our money where our mouth was. Well, I only picked that one because Ed Reed destroyed uh, the Eagles anytime he ever played us. But no, I mean, 100 great 100 black men of America, greater Baltimore Urban League, uh, big equal justice initiative. I'm mentioning these because this is more important than what you know, than the money. Uh, than what I talk about a lot. NAACP, Legal Defense Education Fund, National Urban League, Thurgood Marshall College Fund. I think this is just fantastic. And I wish yeah, other that, companies felt the same way as you, but your board also is looks like America, correct?
3: We've got an incredibly diverse board. You know, our, our company is founded on a principle called the power of people. Um, and that includes uh, uh, diversity and inclusion and, uh, and respect for the individual. That diversity goes all the way up to our very impressive board of directors. Um, our board of directors, you know, there are 10 outside directors. You know, Four of them are women. Two of our directors are, are black. We have a North African. We have a Latina. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a board that uh, really believes in diversity because we are diverse. And also because it's good business, right? And it is good business, absolutely.
1: I want people to know that because I don't want anyone to think, that you know what, it's for show because it's good business. We get people to understand it's good business. We get people starting to do the right thing, even the ones that don't think about it, right? We're the
3: top 50 company as rated by uh, diversity for, for uh, diversity and inclusion. We're a top 50 company for Latinas. Um, we're we're uh, uh, diversity. Actually, we're a top 10 company for di- opportunities for women. Uh, we're also uh, on, on all of the top lists for sustainability, you know, one of the 100 most sustainable companies in the world. It is possible to do the right things while delivering top-tier performance. Amen.
1: Sure. Amen. What a great quarter. Lawrence Kersius is the chairman and CEO of McCormick MKC, long a favorite of Mad Money, and we're sticking by it. Mad Money's back after the break. After a brutal month for the market, we are on the hunt for high-quality stocks of companies that have come down to levels where I think they're too enticing to ignore. So let's talk about Polaris. It's the maker of snowmobiles, all-terrain vehicles, motorcycles, those crazy slingshot three-wheel roadsters that I like, along with some boats and military vehicles. Here's a company that's getting a lot of business thanks to the pandemic, because if you want to take a COVID-safe vacation, Sometimes your only option is the great outdoors. Polaris reported a true blowout quarter two months ago. Yet the stock's now pulled back 17% from its August highs. Like I said at the top of the show, this stuff is a little nutty. Plus, Polaris just announced a 10-year pro- uh, mo- partnership. Listen to this. With Zero Motorcycles to develop electric off-road vehicles and snowmobiles. I am intrigued by this. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Scott Wine, the chairman and CEO of Polaris, to learn more about this incredible electric vehicle initiative that the market ignored. Mr. Wine, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim,
0: glad to be with you. Great day for Polaris.
1: You bet it is. Now, Scott, when I read this, I said, look, everybody wants EV, but I want outdoor EV, okay? Because sometimes my kids don't like these stink of diesel. I don't mind it, but this new generation wants EV. Tell us about this deal because I thought it would be impossible to have.
0: Well, I tell you, Jim, Zero Motorcycles has proven over the last 14 years they know how to make great bikes. They've just got a great brand, and uh, San Pascal and his team have just been wonderful to work with, and you know, we saw an opportunity to, to bring electrification to Power Sports and we looked for a great partner and the more we looked, no one provides the capabilities that Zero does to be able to bring our customers the performance they need at the speed of which we want to bring it to them. So, you know, as you mentioned, we're seeing unprecedented demand for our products and many of those um, customers that are driving sales are new to Power Sports and we believe especially some of those new customers that are millennials, will want more of this electric technology. So, um, you know, we've committed to being able to bring our first product to market in a little over a year, and we're just really excited about what this partnership means for us, especially in this period of time where our business is on such a roll. How does an electric snowmobile work? You know, electric snowmobile, I was um, um, very much a naysayer when that idea was first pitched to me. But ultimately, if you think about ski resorts and whatnot, you mentioned noise and, and smell. Of some of our especially the two-stroke engines uh, while I personally love riding them in the mountains the people on a ski resort would much rather have a quieter um, you know uh, smaller emissions vehicle so we think we can build a perfect vehicle uh, for many of the ski resorts around the world you're
1: telling me there's no diminution of power
0: um, the, you know with most electric vehicles you get great torque and great power and uh, it's all about being able to fit the batteries in and keep the batteries warm in a, in a snowmobile and I'm very confident in our engineers, working with zero engineers, that we can figure that out.
1: All right, so look, on the uh, conference call, I hate to feel a little negative here, but um, on your conference call, you, you talked about market share loss. You said it was unforgivable. I mean, it's kind of like you're an NFL coach, you won the game, but then you say the offensive line played awful. And it's like, why did he do that?
0: Well, Jim, we like to call it like we see it. And uh, we feel like as the market share leader, it doesn't mean that we should be um, giving up market share in any of our product lines. Our Indian Motorcycle, uh, Business is gaining a tremendous amount of market share. But Steve Minetto and the Off-Road Vehicle team have really got – they've got great product plans. They've got great execution and sales plans. And uh, we're very confident in their ability to get back to market share gains.
1: And now what do you have to do? Do you have to cut price? What do you have to do to get, get market share back?
0: You know, part of the benefits of the pandemic is the unprecedented demand has diminished the needs for promotion from us and from our competitors. So we're seeing better pricing powers, and uh, ultimately that helps our margins – and so we do not plan to get back to those higher-level promotions. We believe that we've got the right products, we've got the right marketing campaigns, and we're really confident in our ability to deliver both the third quarter and the rest of the year uh, very strong um, for our customers and for our shareholders.
1: What's your feeling on dealer inventories right now?
0: Well, don't ask my dealers, because we just do not have enough dealer inventory. And our <laughs> plants are running at full speed. We're really working to optimize our supply chain. Um, we're giving them enough... Um, Keep going, but ultimately it's at a, a multi-decade low right now, and we are. Um, I'm really proud of the way the team is working to build that back up, but it's going to be a, a few more quarters before we get there.
1: How many people are recognizing that this thing has not gone away, this pandemic, and they want to get outdoors, they want to boat in the summer, and they want to use your product in the winter?
0: Well, don't forget, Jim, we've got we're the largest pontoon manufacturer in the world with our Bennington brand and, and Godfrey. So our boat business is doing really well. Um, but we also are seeing early signs that the snowville business is going to do great. So our rangers um, with the heating and the cab system and plows are, are great for customers. So, you know, really, we've got a, a year round offerings and, and we expect uh, the, the benefits of the pandemic to continue to provide uh, good demand throughout the winter as well. Cash flow. Cash flow looks good. You know, we were uh, in a bit of a liquidity crisis when this thing started. I called it a stoppage of commerce as our dealers were shut down. Um, but as things has opened back up, um, you know, we are generating a lot of cash and, and ultimately feel very, very good about our liquidity position right now. Mike Speetson, our CFO, has really managed that as professionally as anyone could. And, uh, you know, we're going to end the year in a significantly better position than we thought we were in, uh, in April.
1: How do you handle a retail sales jump of 57% without a supply chain being overstretched?
0: Well, Jim, it was only 56, but...
1: Uh, <laughs> All uh, right, we, this BMO, David, give me some better research.
0: No, it has actually been um, a, a big challenge on our supply chain. We, You know, we've got great relationships with our suppliers, but while our factories have been able to ramp up, some of our suppliers haven't. You know, we're actually working with them very closely. We're giving them some of our employees at times, but... Ultimately, it is a challenge. Um, The ports being shut down in Houston with the hurricanes uh, weren't helpful. But, you know, we've got an incredibly good team in our logistics and flight chain organization, and I'm really proud of the way that they're battling through and ultimately getting the products to our dealers um, not quite as quickly as they wanted, but we're getting there and um, we just want to make sure that our customers can get out and ride. Military experience helpful? Military, you know, one of the things military teaches you how to deal with adversity and uh, how to pull a team together and you know, it's really fun for me to, to look at my team now and see how well that they're executing, you know, much the same way of the, the, the great sailors that I had the opportunity to work with. You recruit as many people as you can from the uh, military. We do. Uh, unfortunately, I've got a few too many Air Force grads and uh, West Point. <laughs> grads. But it's, uh, we're, we're very proud of our military business, but really the folks we have in, in our factories and in our businesses um, that come from that environment are, are really a, a great asset to us.
1: So, when you uh, are you seeing uh, women? Are you seeing people in their twenties? Who who are these new bars?
0: You know, we've got a very large outreach program. Pam Kermish, our customer engagement and growth officer, is just does a great job of driving that. But ultimately, the pandemic brought more than we could imagine. And, and we're seeing a great diversity of customers. And it is the, the youngers, it's more females being involved in the purchasing decisions. And, you know, we feel um, really like that's something that's very sustainable for us. Once we bring them in, they're more likely to bring their friends in and, and keep this going for us. Obviously not at the same rate of growth, but, um, a positive growth rate as we go forward as well. well.
1: Anyone who's use your, your snow, it's the it's our number one thing when we go on vacation. Uh, we should own it ourselves, but it's just what we do because it's just such a blast. Scott Wine, Chairman of CEO Players, again, no inventory, incredible sales. This is my kind of story. Good to see you, sir. Jim, thanks for having me on. Okay, we have money's back after the break. in the great outdoors contingent, they're cleaning up right now, as I said at the top of the show. But ever since the stocks peaked in August, the group gets no respect. Now, we just heard from Polaris, but the most recent data comes from Thor Industries. That's the leading maker of RVs and motorhomes under a host of brands, including the famous Airstream, but a ton of others, including in Europe. Yesterday morning, Thor reported a mammoth earnings beat. They made $2.14 per share while she was only looking for $1.36. Very strong guidance. But the stock barely budged in response because Thor is a high-quality problem. They got so much demand that they're running into supply constraints. Of course, some people felt they lost share. We're going to cover that, too. Lean inventories, record backlog. My gut says you got to buy. They sure didn't like that again today, though, down 39 cents. First, though, let's take a closer look with Bob Martin. He's the president and CEO of Thor Industries. Get a better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Martin, welcome back to of Money.
2: Thanks, Jim. Always a pleasure.
1: All right, Bob, I struggle. I struggle because when I see the biggest issue being that you cannot meet demand, I tend to think that's what I call a high-quality problem. You could have done even better had you been able to meet demand, correct?
2: Correct. So yeah, For us, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely uh, low inventories for the dealers, uh, for us for ramping up production and uh, some supply issues. But once we work through that, we see a great
1: long-term runway. I want you to compare your sales, your rate of sales, to your rate of inventory historically.
2: Historically, we've never seen the inventory this low. Uh, This this goes back, you know, 15 years to see the inventory this low when our rate of production was much, much less. So for us right now, uh, the opportunity is simply to take care of our dealers, take care of these customers that are trying to use these vehicles as their their safest way of vacation. And right now, inventories are the lowest I've ever seen them since I've been in the industry.
1: You have always been candid on the show. There have been periods where you've come in and say, listen, we weren't ready. There's periods where you said you had too much inventory. There's periods where you said tariffs hurt you. I'm not hearing any of those things now.
2: No, right now, it's, it's literally, uh, you know, we we came back a little later than some of our competitors, possibly, but we did it to do it with uh, COVID safety measures. We made sure that we came back with our, our factories uh, cleaned and prepped and, and uh, you know, proper uh, you know, masks and, and sanitizer. We wanted to make sure we were starting safely. And we knew that we had demand, but we would just wanted to do it the
1: right way. All right, so Bob, uh, four industries, B, uh, BMO, head straight outfit. Uh, they like you. Here's what they say. They say, here's the bottom line. We think market share loss played a role. Are you losing share?
2: Well, we may have lost a little bit just because we came back a little bit later. As I said, some came back a little bit sooner on some of the travel trailer side. And some are reading into that as market share loss. For us, it was a safety issue. It was coming back being safe and prudent and then ramping up production. And as we look back, we came back. We've had no issues. We've been in a very safe work environment. Uh, So maybe we wish we would have come back a little bit quicker, but we're talking a matter of weeks. And we're a high-volume production company that, as we ramp up going through the rest of this year and into next year, we feel that we will gain much of that share back. Uh, You know, our our share in motorhomes is uh, quite high already, and it's really just on the travel trailers where we lost a little bit. But I think that's something that you'll see uh, month by month, quarter by quarter, picking that back
1: up. Well, if it's true, then I would bet that July would have been the strongest month and the cadence would be good and you would have record order backlog.
2: And we do. So right now, that's uh, one of the biggest things that we're seeing is uh, the the dealer's inventories. Many are are so low that it's uh, it's worrisome for us. So we're really ramping up production uh, as safely as we can. And our backlog has grown and it continues to grow. So for us, we see this as a, a, a very uh, long-term uh, you know, issue that we're facing, and, but it's an opportunity. For us, we see a lot of people coming in that are new to the industry that have really latched on to this lifestyle, and we see this being something that grows for many, many years to come. So uh, first-time buyers? Many. Very, very high percentage. Uh, you know, you're, you're seeing it boats, ATVs, RVs. But uh, we have a really wide demographic too. It's not just millennials. It is millennials, but you have you have young, you have uh, you know people that are over 60. You have uh, a wide demographic, uh, you know, really that anyone can buy an RV and enjoy it for many years. So, new buyers to us, it's our challenge to keep them in the lifestyle, to give them a great experience, and we're seeing that. I, I this is my personal motorhome behind us. I took a trip this summer. And I was in campgrounds, I was in uh, state parks, I was in harvest hosts, alternative campsites, and I talked to the people. They didn't know who I was really, but uh, I just wanted to hear what they had to say. And they were enjoying it. They felt safe, and they were many of them were traveling the country. So it's, we're seeing it firsthand. We're hearing it from our dealers, and it's something that is it's sustainable, and we're feeling very good about the future of the company. Europe. Europe, we're seeing much of the same thing. Europe actually came in with COVID earlier and it was an advantage to us because we learned how to deal with COVID uh, with protocols and safety. And so working with our European partners at Ermerheimer Group, uh, we were ahead of the curve here in our safety planning, but the market there came back primarily in Germany first, but in the last few months, we're seeing it virtually everywhere in Europe uh, low inventories, high backlogs.
1: Do you so think very uh, much the same. that people are making a judgment, some investors making judgment that we will be uh, in a serious recession and that's why uh, the stock's down? Because frankly, uh, I always believe that if, if supply is, lo- is low, demand is high, and you're back with the supply constraints solved, that therefore selling the stock now would be a mistake. I don't know how to cure that view. That's my view.
2: Right. And and some may have that view, Uh, but from what we're seeing, many people, as they look at, uh, you know, long term recessions in the past, that RVs are a leading indicator in and out. And right now, uh, it tells me that a lot of people, they they have income. There may be people that, you know, they may still have a job. They're just not going to the office and they're working from home and they're looking to buy an RV and they can actually work out of that RV with our 4G technology. You could work out of it. The kids can go to school out of it. And we think that's where a lot of our growth is coming from. There, There's a lot of the nation that is that is suffering in, in the retail markets and such as that. But for a lot of the people that can buy an RV, uh, they still have income. They're able to work. They just may not be going to work. And they may be choos- choosing this as an alternative uh, mode of transportation.
1: Well, I, I got to tell you, I mean, Look, if there was something, you had you had labor problems at one point because you couldn't find enough workers, or recession always lurking. You had people doubting that people wanted to go glamping. I don't know. The heck with that. As long as COVID is an <laughs> issue, which I'm sadly I think is for a long time, I think your stock's a buy. Bob Martin, President and CEO of Thor Industries. Great to see you, sir. Thank you. All right, I want the Mercedes, okay? I want the Mercedes one, the one on the left of us. Look, this stock has historically been difficult to gauge. And I said at the top of the show that the verdict is that it's not long-lasting. Did you think it's long-lasting? That's up to you. I think it is. Mad Money's back here the break. It is time. It's time for the light and rapid. Goodbye. It's <laughs> about one of the One and a half minutes. Sorry. Bye-bye. bye Just begin the video. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? over. The lightning round, Mike I'm going to start with Johnny in North Carolina. Johnny. Hey Jim, I'm calling about an electric uh, vehicle charging station place, Switchback Energy (SBE). Is it too high? Well, I mean it's another blank check company, and we really don't know anything about it. I know that has not kept anyone from buying something, but you know, until we find out more about it, we don't know if we have a Nikola. and if we have a nickel, then we're going to be bad. So we have to find out more before we make a decision. Please, everyone, do that. Tony in Texas. Tony! Booyah! Jimmy Chill! The Chill Man is in town. Hey, I hope you got to spend some time on your Boston Weller this past weekend. No, this weekend I was mostly gardening, and, and, you know, we're almost out of tomatoes, but I good peppers. What's going on? All good, all good. I hear that Disney is cutting thousands of jobs. What is your thought on DIS? You know, my travel trust owns Disney, and we're not going to trade it. We're just not going to trade it because we think the pandemic is going to be beaten. And when it does, we're all going to regret that even though we saw these layoffs, that we sold the stock. So right now, uh, I'm willing to accept some short-term loss in money to own Disney. There it is. I know that's very unfashionable. Let's go to Chris in Illinois. Chris. Booyah, Jimbo. Yo, Chris.
2: Happy happy Tuesday to the best-looking dude on Squawk on the Street. What do you say? Okay, I'm going to get right into it. I come to you today about a global leader in the growing telemedicine industry. The stock has done very well over its lifetime, and since COVID started back in March, it's been on an absolute tear until it announced it's merging with Livongo back in early August. Since then, it's been very volatile. As we approach its earnings on October 28th, how do you feel about the uh, future
1: of this company going to that and and, and so on? We must be talking about TeleDoc, which is merging with Livongo. I think this is a fantastic merger. I think very – I, I, I got it there. I think people are very confused. They don't really understand it, and that's why it's been terrible. I think what's going to happen, it's going to become the ultimate uh, digitized medicine play, and you got to stick with it. I'm trying to figure out whether to buy it for our trust. I really like it here. John in Oregon. John. Yes, Jim. First-time caller, long-time listener. I hope you've been okay from to... those fires there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm staying uh, wet. How's that? Okay, okay. <laughs> so my daughter lived in a I'm town l- called Talent, which like doesn't exist. What's up? <laughs> I'm looking to get more tech exposure. My stock is Dynatrace ticker DT. Everybody likes software intelligence platforms. To me, I like Splunk. Uh, Warren Buffett likes Snowflake. Does he has 15% of it? That's a, it sells at 100 times sales. Mr. Value, Mr. Value bought the most expensive stock in the market. Everything's upside down. I feel like doing a handstand. Let's go to Kim in Massachusetts. Kim. Hey, Tim, Greetings
0: from Cape Cod. Oh, i so lucky. My husband and I listen yeah, my husband and I listened to your advice about taking some tech profits a little while ago. Thank you. Um, we're both in our late 50s. We're looking to diversify a bit and put some of that profit into a stock with some growth potential but with solid dividend history. Okay. We're looking at a company that has settled, uh, seems to have settled into a good price and has a good management team. What do you think of WP
1: Carry Inc., ticker WPC? It is good. It's good. They actually understand real estate and they've not hurt anybody. And I think it's got a decent yield. I like that. I like that story. I like Cape Cod and I like that story. Let's take one more. Let's go to Tegan in California. Tegan. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah! Give me two. Tegan came to play, clearly. What's going on? <laughs> Thanks for taking my call, man. Hey, I just had a question in
3: general for you about uh, solar energy and uh, specifically Enphase.
1: We've been big believers in Enphase. It's one of the very few energy companies that we like because it's a nuts and bolts energy company. It's terrific. I like it. I like you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade. Look, big business. It won. By delaying the next round of stimulus this long, Congress has handed you a buy list that can't be beaten. Buy, buy, buy! Even if both parties can agree to a last-minute deal, it'll be too late to save tens of thousands of struggling small businesses. It's funny, I've taken a lot of flack lately for talking about politics. Partisans from both sides love telling me to stick to stocks. I, I say you've got to be kidding me. Believe me, I would love to be able to ignore politics, but between the lockdowns and social distancing requirements, state governments doomed thousands of smaller businesses. That's what they did. They just shut them down. Initially, the federal government answered with a lifeline, kind of like an insurance plan, this PPP to tie the small, medium sized businesses over until we beat the virus. As long as we beat it quickly. Oh, man, it was such a great idea. And it saved all sorts of important, but technically non-essential businesses. But sadly, those stimulus programs ran out of money before we beat the pandemic. It's still with us. We're just trying to live with it now. That means social distancing and social distancing is lethal to all sorts of smaller retailers and restaurants. Sure, some restaurants are doing okay right now with outdoor dining, but there aren't enough heat lamps in the world for that to keep working once it gets cold. And don't forget, it can rain and snow, too. Contrast that with the amazing numbers Costco put up last week. Costco was the first to embrace uh, mandatory mask policy. They've got huge stores with wide aisles that are perfect for social distancing and their stores were deemed essential. So they never had to shut down. Of course, they're making a fortune right now. The competition simply can't keep up. Oh, and remember, everyone said Costco had a bad quarter and dumped it, and I said to take the other side of the trade. It's not well above where it was when it reported. Same with smaller hotels. In New York, about a third of them are in arrears, because hardly anyone's traveling, not for business, not for tourism. Without a bailout immediately, many of these smaller operators will be corners. Bad news for their customers, great news for big chains like Marriott that can survive because they've got deep pockets. Let's not forget Chipotle and Darden. Again, they've got the money to survive the devastating consequences of plummeting same-store sales, either by pivoting to takeout and delivery or by simply waiting the virus out. When this is over, their competitors will be gone, and they'll be the last men standing, and they will clean up. Bye-bye-bye. My travel trust owns Starbucks as a bet against Congress and the White House doing anything else to help. Without another bailout, you can kiss your local coffee shop goodbye. So, no, I'm not being political here. I'm just telling you the facts personally. I want more stimulus, but without it, you can make out like a bandit by betting on the big chains that don't need a lifeline without more government assistance. I say you got to buy Amazon, Walmart, Target, Costco, Home Depot and Lowe's because they're just going to get stronger and stronger as the little guys falter. Now, you could argue we don't need all these independent restaurants. We can all eat at home or Olive Garden or maybe a Chipotle for uh, when it's a birthday or something. Domino's. What more do you need? You could say the smaller retailers are irrelevant when we got Amazon. I say, geez, we're talking about industries that employ 14 to 15 million people. Call me crazy, but I think just letting those jobs vanish seems like a bad idea. And it's a real shame our political system was too dysfunctional to save them. Stick with Craig. McCormick, Polaris, and Thor. All stocks that are down on their luck. All stocks are going to have unbelievable next quarter and the quarter after. So I think sometimes people say there are no bargains in this market. Take a look at all three. And don't forget, McCormick gives you a two-for-one split, which makes it so it's more accessible. That does matter. Not more value, but more interest. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise, your friend, just for you right here on Man Money, I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.